I'm so glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up later, Clark Stinks, where you get to hear what people have to say that I have done that's disappointed them, I feel I'm wrong, whatever. Tune in for Clark Stinks later. I want to talk right now about a, a new survey that was done by MetLife. They surveyed uh, several thousand people, an unusually large sample size, to see what people wanted that would attract them to an employer, or more important today is more people, as soon as the quit rate is rising, as more people say, hey, you're not treating me the way I want to be treated here, I'm going somewhere else. What is it that the workers are looking for? Well, one of the things is the absolute top thing workers are looking for was consistent across all age groups. The number one benefit that employees want is unlimited vacation. Now, I think back how things have changed from earlier this decade where all people hoped for was a paycheck from anywhere they could find it. And times have changed. Employers need workers. And the shoe is now on the other foot. So what people want, not that they would take unlimited vacation, because if somebody said, hey, I'll be back in a year or two, they're going to come back to no job. But the idea of accruing so many hours of vacation or sick leave or the thing that a lot of really bureaucratic companies have this thing called PTO. Anyway, workers don't like being in those straight jackets and they want to be able to make their own judgment about how much time they take off. Now, what I find so ironic about it is that most people who are in those PTO systems or earn so many vacation days a year and all that, that most people leave vacation on the table each year so i know there are employers who worry about the small number of workers that would abuse a trust system on vacation but the reality is most people aren't going to abuse that and it shows on your part as an employer that you are a generous soul and occasionally there'll be somebody no matter what you do who'll take advantage of your generous self. But anyway, that's number one. Number two is rewards for healthy behavior. And this dovetails with what I've talked about before with the programs where you give additional compensation or prizes or whatever to people who live a more healthy lifestyle. And it's fascinating to me that uh, roughly 70% of workers say they like that and would, would like to have that. I guess the 30% who don't are the people who, well, maybe don't have the healthiest of lifestyle or habits. But a lot of people who don't have the healthiest like the idea of being bribed to become more healthy. Now, as far as other things, there are really only um, two others that rank really, really high, right up there with the unlimited time off and the rewards for healthy behavior. And this is one that is very important to older workers, and that's phased retirement. That you not have to work full tilt 
till the day you don't work anymore at that place, but that you be able to phase down. Uh, I know that a lot of people work in medical facilities that allow medical professionals as they get into their later years to go from being five-day-a-week medical providers to four, three, two, and so they don't hurt there if there's any kind of retirement plan that normally you would hurt. If you reach a certain age beyond that point, you don't hurt those benefits by phasing down the number of hours you work per week. And the final one that there was a huge desire for, paid sabbaticals. That After so many years of service, you have time to go do whatever, which is very popular with technology companies and universities, not really anywhere else. Lane is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Lane. Hi, Clark. How are you? Wonderful, Lane. You're headed to South America. I am. Yes, I'm very excited for it. How many countries are you going to in South America? Um, so we haven't finalized our itinerary yet, but we're planning on going to Argentina, Chile, Peru, and Colombia. Well, I've been to three of the four. I haven't been to Colombia. And how are you planning to travel around South America, and how long will you be gone? So we're going to be there for a full month, and most of our means of transportation from city to city will be um, on buses, but we are probably going to take a, a few flights since we're going to so many locations in just four weeks. Um, but my main question for you um, is actually regarding safety. So I'm traveling just with one of my girlfriends from college, um, and so traveling just the two of us as young women, I'd love to get your advice and any tips that you have for traveling safely in a foreign country and specifically in South America, especially since you've been there. Yeah, so I have traveled around South America both ways you said. I've done extensive bus travel in, uh, in Brazil, and I've done extensive bus travel in, let's see, where else? Paraguay and Argentina. Oh, and Chile. And then I've flown among countries, you know, between countries and south america and for two women traveling just the two of you alone you need to know that there's a bit different of a culture in south america towards women traveling alone and so you're going to have to be more cautious and more careful particularly with nightlife than you would be here in the united states and you know you have to be careful anyway uh, as a woman going out at night here, you have to worry about what somebody might put in your drink, that kind of stuff. It's more of a concern in South America. Okay. And so I would urge much caution. I just read a long-form article, and I'm trying to remember where I read it, about uh, women traveling. Uh, that was specifically women traveling alone independently and the dangers you have to be prepared for, I would see if you can, uh, whatever search engine you use, Google or whatever, see if you can find that story because there were many very good suggestions in that story. Um, Are you going to have any kind of cell phone plan that will travel with you across South America? Um, So we haven't figured out the details of that yet. Is there anything that you'd recommend If either of you are T-Mobile, T-Mobile will work across most of South America for free. 
Okay. Otherwise, Great. otherwise, what you face is with either of you with AT and T or Verizon. Mm-hmm. I have AT and T. So with AT and T, they're going to charge you a daily fee to use it outside the country, outside the U.S., Mexico, or Canada, and you're going to find that it'll be cheaper for you being gone a month, likely to buy um, local SIM cards in each of the four countries than to pay AT&T the huge fee you'd have to pay, which would be roughly, I think, $300 to be able to use it in South America. Okay, great. That's good to know. But I want you to um, to read around on blogs. There are a number of women bloggers who travel in South America. I want you to see if you can find some of those. Read what they say. They're not going to just sugar, sugarcoat it and tell you everything was fantastic everywhere. And they'll be able to be more specific with you about the potential pitfalls and possible dangers. But I in no way would discourage you from going because it is a once-in-a-lifetime fantastic experience to travel around South America. As mm-hmm. Yeah, far we're as, really looking forward to it. As far as when I have felt in danger in Argentina and Chile and uh, you said Peru? Yes, Peru. Um, mm-hmm. I never felt unsafe in any of those three countries, but I'm a guy. And mm-hmm. I've, been, I've been to South America uh, probably eight or ten times. Okay, and would you say that for transportation purposes, are buses any more safe than flights or vice versa? Is there any difference? The flights um, will, be, will be safer, but buses are very common and used by locals and a lot of Europeans use the buses. And uh, so I would like you to stay on daytime buses instead of overnight buses. Okay. A lot of times people on long bus rides in South America will do the overnight buses, and I just don't think that's the best idea for you. So that is like a dad would say it, right? Mike is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mike. Clark, how are you today? Great. Thank you, Mike. Um, so I'm calling because I have a question about uh, a class that I took at my local high school about two weeks ago. Um, it was an overview of uh, starting a career as a voiceover. And so I went through the course and had an introduction, talked about different voice techniques, types of voiceovers, how to join a union, uh, launching your career, the equipment you would need. And at the end of the night, we had uh, a chance to do a demo. So the demo was recorded, and then the presenter um, went back and listened to the demo. And the next day, all of us who participated got an email um, from him. So in the email, uh, my in particular said that, uh, you know, I had a good voice for this type of career and thought that I could find a niche in it. So then it sent me to a link for this company that had a whole list of different training and coaching that they would provide. Um, okay, I, I know the punchline's well. coming. How many hundreds or thousands of dollars? Yeah, so um, for their top echelon program, uh, it was about $4,600. Really? really? And that included... Your money blowing to smithereens. So, yeah. So let's talk. Uh, one thing okay. I would have you do 
is do you know the website Udemy? U-D-E-M-Y.com? Mm-hmm. So there's a zillion um, voice coaching courses on there that range anywhere from $12 to the highest being about 75 And a lot okay. of them are cumulative teaching, you know, where you might take a really basic one and then you move on from there. I would never, um, by the way, um, this is one of the things my wife does for a living, and okay. she would tell you, don't ever do that. Um, okay. What year in high school are you? Oh, <laughs> I'm a teacher, so I'm oh, almost I'm sorry. My, I, no, I'm not sorry. I but completely I'm misunderstood. My... <laughs> All right. So, yeah. so you're a teacher. This is easy yeah. for you. Have you checked a community college near you to see if they have a voiceover program that you could take in their theater program, drama program, communication school, something like that. No, that would that would be a good start. Though. That was uh, that was my next question. Basically, was if this was not uh, the avenue you would suggest, then um, what would be a good next step? If it was something I could get into, or if basically, you know, my big question is: is it is it something that I could look into doing part time, like when I retire from teaching? Is it is it a career that well, vo- being a voiceover in? artist became a kind of thing at one point. And so there are a lot of people, because the technology's gotten so much cheaper to do voiceovers, mm-hmm. that the field is kind of flooded right now. Okay. So I would say today it's not a truly lucrative field for most people who get into it. Right. But what I would do, I'd, I'd take a course at a local college or take some of these Udemy courses, and then post yourself on something like Fiverr mm-hmm. and you know, offer to do voiceovers for people at a very low price, and you start building up a resume that way. Okay. And you learn better over time. The more you do voiceovers, the better you are at it. Okay. So a little bit of an initial investment maybe in, in equipment. I probably would need a decent microphone. Yeah, um, but we're headset. not talking big money at all. And, uh, you know, the programs are so inexpensive that you use to edit mm-hmm. your voiceover work. And you can do it on a Mac or a PC. And it's a very simple, streamlined way for you to get into the business. But paying somebody thousands of dollars, no way not any day. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com slash ask. Producer Joel may well ask your question for you. All right, Clark, I'm asking two people's questions here. Barbara and Stuart had the same exact question. They said, how can you know if work from home opportunities are legitimate or if they are scams? So uh, one thing is if you're asked for money up front, that'll be an automatic tip off that the odds are overwhelming. It's a scam. If the amount of money somebody says you're going to make is a great deal working from home, odds are very low that it's legit. And we update our work at home guide roughly four times a year. We just did so in February. And what we do on our work at home guide is we try to come up with a list that's useful to you of organizations you can do work at home for and most of them pay somewhere around nine to fifteen dollars an hour is kind of the range 
that we've been able to find for legitimate work at home. So check it out. All right, Clark and Dennis says, I'm with a bank that's going through a merger. I'm wondering if I should look for a smaller hometown bank instead. What do you think? Bank mergers are always brutal for the bank customers. When computer systems are merged, policies change. Nothing ever is a policy change that's good for the customers following the merger of a bank. I would skedaddle way quick. I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want to empower you with knowledge so you can keep more of what you make. That's the mission. That's the goal. And there are times that you feel, I go far afield, miss the target, mess up, give advice that you think is rotten or terrible or whatever. I need to know from you when I don't deliver for you when I disappoint you. The reason is, is that this is not a normal talk show. This is an opportunity for us all to learn from each other. And so there are times you need to teach me. And that's why we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. It's where you can go post where you feel I've missed the mark. I've failed at my job. Now, you post there. Other people can read it. They can comment on it. They can agree, disagree. And then weekly, our producer, Krista, goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares highlights with you here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. All right, I'm going to start out with a feisty Clark Stinks. Feisty, huh? Heard a snippet today, just a snippet as I was busy, about how rough teachers have it. In my state, they're on the gravy train. A friend of mine is a teacher, so I know firsthand. They never work more than three consecutive weeks without a day off. Uh, Then they go through the holidays that they have to work. If it's too hot, too cold, too this, too that, the joke holidays off. And I heard one day that, I heard one say they get ripped because they get nothing for July 4th. They have handsome pensions and virtually free health care. All summer off. So with that and the holidays, it prorates over a year to about 28 to 29 hours a week. In the real world, that's a part-time job. And don't get me started with the extortionist teachers unions that hold up property owners with ungodly school taxes. Save it for the barbershop or butcher. No sympathy here. Wow. Okay. So there are a few places in the United States where teachers are um, maybe in a position where they're getting benefits and pay that is what people might consider to be excessive. It's true. And there are situations in the country where the teachers unions are probably too powerful. But that is the exception that generally is not true in most of America where teachers are underappreciated, undercompensated, and you can just tell by the how quickly there's turnover in the teacher ranks and in how many states teacher standards have had to be waived because not enough certified teachers can be found who are qualified to teach in a system. Hi, Clark. I'm a Browns fan, and I know the definition of stink. Oh, (laughs) you often recommend the city double cash card, but you fail to mention that if you use your cash rewards as a statement credit, you lose out on the 1% reward on that dollar amount. The statement credit is not considered a payment. 
you must choose to have the reward money mailed as a check or directly deposited into a checking account. Also, for listeners who have cash and only have an online bank, one solution I I use is to pay my Chase credit card at a local Chase branch with the cash. My Fidelity MySmart cash checking account will not allow money orders to be mobile deposited like a check, so that's an option. That is not an option for me. Maybe next year is now. Maybe this year. Go Browns. Love the podcast. Ron in Cleveland. So, Ron, this is the season coming up that you can have some real hope that the Browns are going to turn it around and have a really great season. Uh, you know, you look at how they're building a squad. I think this is the turnaround year. As for the city double cash making it difficult for you to get your 2%, I've never gone into the details of that, and I appreciate you doing that. And for the idea you have about how to get around the inability to deposit cash into your Fidelity account, that's a great suggestion. Clark, I can't get this off my mind. About two or three weeks ago on a podcast, a Navy veteran called in. When he mentioned his submarine duty, you were quick to mention your brother's brief submarine duty during the Vietnam War. You proceeded to tell the caller how your brother's sub-duty was so brief it was almost non-existent due to his claustrophobia. For some reason, you had a good laugh as you went on to tell that because of the claustrophobia, he was then given PT boat duty delivering soldiers to battlefront. I'm almost certain that if your brother had given the ultimate sacrifice, like so many of our battlefront soldiers have, it somehow wouldn't be as funny. Your brother may have not actually been on the battlefield, but I'm sure the lifelong after effects of the sights and sounds are horrific. Please, Clark, as a veteran yourself, even as we often make light of our siblings, no matter what the subject, you should know better. Bird fan in Virginia. P.S. Clark, I will certainly remain a loyal listener and appreciate all that you and your team do. You have helped me personally via the radio show many times over the years. Maybe now I can forget your uncharacteristically brief disrespect on such a serious subject. Well, I appreciate that. And it's something that we joke about as a family. And looking back 50 years, obviously it was not funny at the time. But now it's just something that we do talk about as a family. And you may or may not know this story, but I took my brother back to Vietnam as he still was troubled by his experience there. And I took him back four years ago, and it was one of the greatest times of his life going back. And we got to go back to where he had been, where his base had been, and it was uh, really cathartic for him. And I recommend to any Vietnam veteran that you consider going back. It's really inexpensive to go to Vietnam now. And it is a therapeutic kind of experience if you had a tough time in the war. And I did not mean to make light of anybody's experience in the war and certainly the loss of 58,000 plus lives, American lives, in the war in Vietnam. Clark, listening to your podcast, you don't stink, but you were starting to smell like burning rubber with your recommendations. I work in the tire industry and have a couple of suggestions. The best time to buy tires when most sales happen is in spring during driving vacation season and late fall, just before the snow flies. Tire Rack is a great place to start shopping for tires, but nothing beats the personal service and recommendations of a local tire shop. Check their website. They may have a shopping portal already. When buying tires online, consider what's happening. You buy them based on reviews, and we all know how good those are. 
ship them to a local shop, then expect them to install them. Imagine buying a steak online and shipping it to a restaurant asking them to cook it. They'll help because they're great with customer service, but won't stand behind the product itself. Good tires aren't cheap. You can buy cheap tires, but you get what you pay for. Love the show. Keep it up. Thank you very much for that. And this is something we talk about from time to time is how uh, in a lot of the discussions I have about consumer purchases that I neglect to talk sufficiently about local retailers that sell and service a product. And I think you did so very well. Did I hear you say that you only get two years out of a wallet? I don't believe that since you don't appear to open it very much. When someone gets a new wallet as a gift, I've taken the old ones to use and routinely get five to eight years out of them, and I use mine. Recheck of your facts. Love the show. Okay, so it is true. I only seem to get two years out of a wallet, and it's because I carry a particular kind. It's an ultra-thin wallet, and I guess they're not maybe as durable, but... I like having that ultra-thin, and so next time I'm ready to replace it, I'll take a picture of it. We'll post it on Clark.com, and you can decide if it's time yet for me to dump it for a new one. I'm not a big fan of the Clark Stinks title because I really like Clark, so let's put this in the Clark kind of missed it bucket. I think Clark did the caller a disservice while talking about job interview negotiations, Clark spoke of salary as the only item to be negotiated. Off the top of my head, there's more than a few other buckets of money that could be addressed after the budgeted salary is maxed out. To name a few, performance bonuses, uh, more vacation, stock options, commission, company car, gas allowance, life insurance, compensated health care, guaranteed training budget like $2,000 a year, gym membership, industry perks like free flight lessons for aviation types, and so on. I always viewed salary as only the start of the compensation discussion. That is a very well thought out and thorough post. A lot of times people are at a point on the job ladder where if you started naming any of a number of things and asking about any of a number of things like you stated, that it might alienate the person making a hiring decision So I think it depends on where you are in your career and how much leverage you might have with that company that is considering whether or not to hire you. Enough already. Dear Clark, I've listened to you for over 20 years, but I can't take another child calling in to ask about their Roth IRA or their retirement savings. My brain is bleeding. Enough is enough. The 14-year-old calling in for investment advice is absurd. Call me whatever, but there cannot be a less relevant call than one from some kid who's clearly being set up by parents. Please keep it real and stop the insanity. So I appreciate your sentiments, and there are times that when a kid is calling, it is because a parent has put them up to it, and maybe the parent's given them the money that they're looking to invest. But I find that as I get into one of those calls, a lot of times – I can tell it's a genuine thing from the teenager that he or she really is into a life of thrift, really into the idea of living on less than what they make. And what's great is a teenager generally doesn't have the obligations of an adult. And so they have this one-time life opportunity to take money they've earned at a summer job or a part-time job 
and have it grow for them over the decades. And so I love encouraging that. And I'm sorry if you find it annoying. Clark is a fan of alternative energy and EVs. I understand that and would like to agree, but I can't right now. I wish he would sometimes say that they are dependent on current technology. He makes it sound like electric cars are magic. I've never heard him mention we get most of our electricity from burning coal. I admit I don't listen as much as I'd like. Maybe he has said so. Nuclear power is our cleanest power source right now. Wind power is unreliable except here in West Texas. I would love to sprinkle fairy dust and have the world all electric. Until we get our heads out of the sand and build nuclear reactors, it will be a long time before electric cars are really practical. Thank you for that post. Now, the good news is that for us as a nation, coal use is down to about a third of the power we generate in the country. Renewables are 17%. A lot of the rest is either natural gas, uh, probably the most now, or nuclear and the power mix is changing very quickly in the country. The what's known as utility scale installed solar and wind is the fastest growing source of energy in the country, and before too long will account for about a third of our energy supply in the United States. Is it's now cheaper to put in than any other form of power. So the uh, pollution equivalent of an electric car is already better than a gas engine and that's going to get steadily better as you look over the next decade i appreciate all your posts i want to hear from you please go to clark.com clark stinks and let me know how you feel i can serve you better this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance hey listeners whether you love true crime or comedies celebrity interviews news or even motivational speakers you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue right and guess what Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. David's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, David. Hi, Clark. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Well, great to have you here. And you have a teenager who is amazing at saving money, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, that he is. Um... He has about $25,000 in the bank, and uh, he's currently working, owns a vehicle that's paid for. It's a 15-year-old truck, um, very frugal with his money. He pays for insurance and gas and some food, Um, has no desire really to go to school. And in a couple of years, it's possible he he could be making a significant amount um, for his age. So my question to you is, what what would be the best path for his money uh, and his future? So uh, fantastic that he has already saved so much money. And what will be great for him as a teenager is to take 6000 of those dollars right away and put them into a Roth IRA. Because okay. if he takes that money and puts it in a Roth, how old a teen is he? 
He's 19. 19. All right. So um, putting that money in now, when you look at how many times that money will double over the decades, it's just incredible the positive effect that 6000 will have for him through the years. And since he is, sounds like such an incredibly responsible person, if he puts himself on a path where through the years he keeps maxing out a Roth IRA, he will establish extreme financial security for himself later in life. Because Roths grow tax-free and you spend all the money from them tax-free. What is the maximum contribution for self-employment? Well, that's an interesting question because he's working for himself. Yes. So when he works for himself, he can do, uh, you want to do the Roth, but he also can do something known as a SEP or a solo 401k. And the solo 401k or the SEP allow him to put aside um, significant amounts of his money. Typically with the SEP, he can put aside a quarter of what he makes each year and have it grow over the years. Now, with the typical SEP, the money is pre-tax money, and then is then you pay tax on it when you spend it in retirement. So if he were to do a SEP and a, a Roth, the advantage of that is he's got a pre-tax pile of money and a post-tax pile of money. And that combination works really well later in life. So this is fantastic. We're having this conversation with someone who's not even, uh, for a son who's not even 20 yet. Yes, yeah, so like I said, he is a, a very frugal spender and um, very responsible with his money. So, so well, any of the low, was- I want to tell you, David, any of the low-cost companies I talk about, I talk a lot about the big three, Vanguard, Schwab, and Fidelity. He can do both of these things with them, whichever one he would pick simultaneously. I see. And I would just recommend they slap all the money in the target retirement fund, uh, like 2065, which is where he'd be looking at. If you think about his lifespan, that's about where he'd be looking at spending money, 2060, 2065, somewhere in there. Okay, then he doesn't well, have thank to you figure very much out for the advice. Sure, you know, then the great news he doesn't have to figure out what he's going to invest in. It's just he opens that Roth, he opens that SEP, pops the money in those accounts. The investment choice is the target retirement fund, and all he's got to do is fund them, which obviously he's going to do. You're listening to the Clark Howard show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.